0: and then we'll pray and ask God for his help, and then uh, we'll dive in. So let me read here. This is God's holy and inspired word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away and wander off into myths. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I ask um, now for help. uh, And I ask that you would help us all um, to just focus. God, some of our minds are going really fast. And it seems like things are just getting faster. And so God, I just pray that you'd help us to slow down. And to really hear what your word has to say. Um, so speak to us now, and I pray that you would get me out of the way, and that you would show up and only do what you can do, and that is open the eyes of the blind. Um, and so I pray that this would be glorifying to you, and in your name, amen. Um, so I wanted to start by just sharing just a short little story. So uh, I grew up wrestling, it's a big part of my life, and uh, I had a friend uh, that, was, that we would cross paths from time to time, we'd go to tournaments together, work out together, um, and there's two interesting things about my friend. So first, was that he was really, really good. Uh, most, like 95% of the wrestlers wouldn't last the third period with him, he would just pin him in the first two periods. He was really good. The second thing that was interesting about him was his dad, and so like normal parents, he would sit in the bleachers and watch his son wrestle uh, whenever he wrestled, but uh, as he would instruct him from the stands, okay, he wouldn't yes, necessarily yell out sentences or anything like that. It was just one word outbursts or maybe a couple words. But the interesting thing about him was his voice. And his voice was so loud and so powerful, it, it, you, just, you can't forget it. It just shook the whole gym. It just echoed and it was so powerful. So you knew when he would instruct his son. So there was this one time we were at a tournament, and he was wrestling and a good wrestler is actually in the third period, so that was interesting, and, uh, and he was on bottom, which is just one of the positions that you'll end up in wrestling, and your goal on bottom is to get out. And if you get out, you get one point. But what's really common is, is that if you're winning the match and you're on bottom, you'll stall, which just simply means you won't do anything. You just kind of sit there hoping the clock will burn out and then you'll win. But the issue is, is that the ref will call you for stalling, and if he keeps calling you for stalling, then the other guy will get points. And so sure enough, my friend was stalling. And everyone who was watching this match was kind of thinking the same thing. You know, you're thinking, like, okay, you've got to get going here because you're getting called for stalling. And if he starts getting other points, you're going to lose the match. So you've got to kick, you know. And that's what everyone was thinking. And sure enough, from the stands, his dad just blasted out an instruction that went through his headgear, above all the noise, rattled the gym. They may have even lifted off the ground. I don't even, it was just so powerful. And all you hear from the stands is the instruction from his dad, you've got to move, right? And just the voice was so powerful. And so you might be asking, okay, Justin, why do you share that story? I share that story because when I examine my own life, and my own walk with Christ, I find that it is so easy for me to stall and to be stagnant when it comes to this work. To go day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, and not even think about this work, let alone do it. And so I believe that what I need and what really so many believers need is what my, de- my friend's dad did for him and instructed him and blasted it through all of the noise and his headgear and his head getting squished or whatever else and he just blasted it through and said you've got to move and so in 2 Timothy Paul is giving Timothy a push a charge this is Paul's final letter he's about to die and so his pen is hitting the page one last time, and he starts off in chapter four by saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by, and by his appearing and his kingdom. In other words, Timothy, this is really, really, really important, what I'm about to tell you, okay? I'm going to die, and I'm not going to be here anymore. And so I want you to remember these things. And so he goes on, and he says, preach the word. Do it when people want to hear it and people, when people don't want to hear it. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Then he goes on to a warning, and he says, listen, there's going to come a time where you're going to preach sound doctrine, you're going to preach truth, and people will will listen to it and say, I don't like that, because it doesn't match up with what I want. And so they'll go and they'll try to find teachers, or they will find teachers, who will just tell them what they want to hear. They don't care about what God thinks, they just want to please people. And they'll just essentially just tickle their ears. So And they'll say things that will match their desires. And then you get to verse 5 in the next slide. And you can kind of almost feel a pause. Or at least I feel that whenever I read this text. There's not actually a pause here. But you kind of feel this pause in verse 5. And he says, as for you, it's as if he's holding him by both shoulders. And he's looking at him straight in the face. He's saying, Timothy, look, there's a lot going on. But I want you to listen really closely. As for you always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so this morning, I really just want to look at this phrase, do the work of an evangelist, and I just want to wring it out like a towel and try to get as much as we can from it. And so the first thing I want to think through together is, well, what does this phrase mean? Right? It's easy to Uh, to hear this phrase and think of a a Billy Graham or uh, maybe someone who does large crusades or maybe a street preacher, um, something along those lines, which are all good. But that's not what what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, listen, if you were to take someone who's been called as as a gifted evangelist, you took them and you plop them into a scene, into a situation, and you just observed them and you asked the questions, you said, okay, what what, what, what work are they about? What makes them tick? What breaks their heart? What you would find is what I want you to do. I want you to be about that work. And what Timothy would observe is someone who is, whose heart is broken for the lost and who is willing and eager and available to share the gospel of Jesus. Now, thankfully, and interestingly enough, in Scripture, we've been, prov- we've been given this this scene of, of an evangelist being plopped into a, into, a, into a scene. That's in Acts 8. Philip is called the evangelist and he's in Samaria and then called out into a desert place where he has this scene with um, the Ethiopian eunuch, which we'll take, at, uh, take a look at in a little bit. But Paul is telling Timothy and reminding him that getting the gospel out must be front and center in your mind and in your heart and in your life even though he is a pastor. And so that he must be about this work. And I I believe he says this to Timothy for two reasons. There's probably multiple reasons, but I believe there's two of them here. First was because Timothy was a pastor, which means he was a shepherd, a teacher, and a leader. And Christ has ordained and established that the Great Commission will be accomplished through his church. And God has called pastors to shepherd His flock as local congregations, and so pastors must teach this work, encourage this work, live out this work, and do this work. Not only so that they obey God's command, but that it also trickles down to the flock to do the work. I mean, I ask myself this: Why would I expect the youth? to be about this work and do this work if I myself as the youth pastor don't do the work. It's not an excuse for Christians to not obey or for them to just not obey, but it definitely makes things much more difficult. The second reason is because Christian, or Timothy was a Christian, which means he was a carrier of the greatest message there is, the message of reconciliation. The gospel, and as a disciple of Jesus, he has been commissioned to share that message to those around him. Right? The, the great commission, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says to his disciples, if you're a follower of me, go therefore and make disciples. Second Corinthians 5:17 or 5, yeah, 5.17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God through through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God or 1 Peter 3:15 but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Okay? Always being prepared to defend the hope that's within you. What's the hope that's within you? The gospel. To be able to defend it, to, to talk about it, to engage in it. Always and to anyone. And then Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, the next slide, I try to define this in just one sentence. To do the work of an evangelist, in, in one sense, I these, chose these words very carefully. The willingness to act by using whatever method or means necessary that aligns with God's word to share the message of the gospel wherever you are. Okay, so the willingness, you have to be willing. There's going to be doors that are open, so you have to be willing. But then that's not enough. You have to be willing and then to act by whatever method or means necessary. That is to say that the method and means will look different from Christian to Christian. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then I threw this in here. That aligns with God's word, okay? So by whatever method or means necessary. We're not blowing up cars in the name of evangelism or something like that, okay? But it aligns with God's word to share the message of the gospel. That's what it's all about that's the end goal wherever you are so not okay on mondays like i'll be his witness but every other day i'm not really so much it's always and to anyone and so the encouragement and the push is that as christians we must be about this work the work of an evangelist now listen carefully how this work is practically applied will look different from christian to christian because we all have different jobs, right? We all go different places every day. We all have different skills. We all have a different amount of influence, etc., etc., etc. But what, wherever you are and whatever you are doing, we must be about this work to get the gospel out to the people that God has placed in front of you in your life. But as general and as broad as this statement is, okay, it's a pretty broad statement. Do the work of evangelists. That's a broad statement. Just as general and as broad as that statement is, so is its application. The method and means will be different from Christian to Christian. Leonard Ravenhill once said, any method of evangelism will work if God is in it. That is very important to understand, so please hear me on that. Now, the method and means may be different from Christian to Christian, but there are unavoidable things, unavoidable areas that we all need to remember and embrace. And these are really simple things. We're gonna talk about three of them in a little bit. They're really simple, but when we start compromising and, and making exceptions, it doesn't produce any good fruit, really. I examine my own heart and I, I realize that whenever I make exceptions in these areas, and I go, well, I don't really know, it, it, it doesn't, I don't end up doing the work like it doesn't produce any fruit, and I just find myself stalling, going day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, not even thinking or considering this work, let alone doing it. And so in the next slide, these three areas we find in the the verse itself, in these three words, do, work, and evangelist. So the next slide here, we must first remember that this work involves action and it's found in the first word, do, which is the root word is P-O, meaning to create, make, act, do. That this work involves action. We know this from the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples. Mark sixteen fifteen: go into all the world and preach the gospel. And as I've mentioned earlier, we've been given this scene of an evangelist that we can evaluate. And uh, as we evaluate that, we notice plenty, several points where there's action involved. Acts 8:26 through27, it says, "Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, "Rise and go to the south uh, toward, toward the south, to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza." This is a desert place, and it says that he rose and went. There's action. Then after Philip saw the Ethiopian sitting in the chariot, the spirit told him, go over and join his chariot. And in verse 30, it says that Philip ran to him. I love that. He ran to him and then asked after he heard him reading a scripture in Isaiah, do you understand what you're reading? There's action. We must remember there is action. So we have to embrace this. In other words, it won't just necessarily fall into your lap. Okay, the, the opportunity might, but actually articulating the gospel or asking the question, getting to that point involves doing something. And so we have to recognize that in our relationships and whoever's in our life, that we will eventually have to act. The amount of opportunities and doors that have been opened, that have passed us by, simply because we have struggled to bite down on this, is... is A lot, and I noticed this in my own life. So, we must remember that this work involves action. The second thing we have to remember is found in the word work. This work, or this word is ergon, which means work, labor, deed, a task. And what I want to highlight here is that it's important to note that this work is work, which means it won't be convenient. It won't be comfortable, but it'll be worth it. The tension that you feel to start the conversation or ask a question about God with your friend or invite that person in your life to church or even go up to someone you don't know and you feel like the Spirit's inclining you to do so, is normal, that tension is normal. Do not accept the lie that because it feels uncomfortable, or because it's inconvenient for you, that it must not be right. No, it's work, and it comes with the territory. So accept that, embrace that. And we see that in our scene with Philip and the Ethiopian. He's, the Ethiopian's asking him questions. He's asking him to explain the text. And so there's work involved. And then you even think about where Philip was. He was in Samaria having loads of success. Then he's called out to a desert place. Talk about inconvenience. Okay, the the idea here is that it's not a one plus one equals two equation. I go out to them, I share the gospel, they get saved, we're all happy. No, no, it's work. It's work. And this work can come on all sorts of shapes and sizes. As we've already said, it will be a little uncomfortable. It'll be a little inconvenient. It may involve persecution. It may involve Defending the gospel. But I think there's one form that this work can come in, and it's this reality that this work involves a special kind of endurance. A kind of endurance where it's as if you're in the you're stranded in the middle of an ocean in a rowboat. And you see land until you start to row and row and row. But it doesn't seem like you're getting any closer, and so, you know, you look at the, the view of the land, and which inclines you to keep going, and so you're rowing and rowing and rowing, and then you're getting exhausted, and it's taxing, and you start going, am I even doing anything? Is this, am I going anywhere? And so you start second-guessing yourself. And so some of you here this morning might say, if anyone knows that this work is work, it's me. I, I, I've been sharing the gospel and doing this work with my friend or family member or whoever, and I'm tired this is hard. I, I feel like sometimes I'm talking to a brick wall. I mean, I don't think I, there's any hope here. I don't think I'm getting anywhere. I'm ready to give up. And I find it helpful in Matthew 9 in verses 35 through uh, 38. Jesus was going through the cities. He's proclaiming the gospel, teaching and, and healing the sick. And he, sa- he saw the crowds pass by, and it says that he had compassion on them because they were helpless And they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says this to to his disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That word is, is so helpful for me. The laborers are few. The root of that word is ergon. Laborers, workmen. So yes, we are to be workmen, laborers. This work is work. And my encouragement would be to don't give up. Keep going. It involves a special kind of endurance and compassion that to keep doing this work that comes from only God. And my encouragement is to remember that you're just the messenger. God gives the growth. You may never see the fruit of your labor or the sacrifices that you make in this work, Others may, and that's okay, because it's not about you. But just know that the work that you do for the Lord will not be done in vain, because he said so. It's about him and his glory and his message going out. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that uh, every time I read this quote, I just... I want to run through a wall. I just, it just gets me amped up. And I believe it really articulates this type of endurance and this reality that this work is work. Spurgeon says if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay if hell must be filled let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not not one go unwarned and unprayed for wow we must remember that this work is work the third thing we need to remember is found in the word evangelist the root of this word is evangelion which means the good news the gospel and an evangelist is someone who carries that message. And so it is important to remember what we are carrying. That this word reminds us that the end goal of the work is, to, is getting the seed of the gospel to them. So don't accept the lie that they'll just figure it out through actions. Look, servanthood is so needed and so important and so necessary but it's not not the end. It's a means to an end, but it's not the end. You can know an unbeliever and cut their lawn and shovel their driveway and rake their leaves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and die and be known as a really nice guy. Remember the message that we carry and are called to spread. That's where the power is. That's the seed that grows. And so some of us here this morning may have people in our life that we've known for a very long time and we need to remember what we are to be planting what we are to be spreading and again we go back to our example of Philip the evangelist and he was engaging in this work and what does the text say in Acts 8:35 it says then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture he told to them he told him the good news about Jesus He got to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. In the next slide here, Paul in Romans 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hear those words. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes. Maybe one of the reasons why we have a hard time biting down on this and understanding that this is the end goal of the work is maybe we believe that there's something else that is the power of God for salvation. Maybe our skills or our abilities or our words. But it's the gospel. Or maybe we have a hard time biting down on this that this is the end goal of the work is because we're ashamed of the gospel. We must remember the end goal of the work as an evangelist is getting the gospel message out. And so the next slide, as just a review, the, the method and means will look different from Christian to Christian, but there are some unavoidable areas that we must all embrace and remember. The first is that this work involves action. The second is that this work is work. And the third is that the end goal of this work is planting the seed of the gospel. Now I want to just quickly talk about why is this work important? Paul, in his final words of his final letter, found it important to mention to Timothy to do this work. He was about to go. He's going to be dead, and he's telling him to do this. He found it very important, and we know from Jesus himself, he was about to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and he told his disciples to go and make disciples. And so in and of itself, that's a strong enough why, but there's some other things that we can think through that will help us to know why this work is important. The first, in the next slide here, um, is there isn't much time. This work is important because eternity is at stake. The message you and I carry as followers of Christ is the answer to the forgiveness of sins and freedom from death and escape from hell. We need to realize something that's clearly taught in Scripture, and that is that we don't have a lot of time. James says that life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. In Psalm 90, it says, Teach us to number our days so that we would have a heart of wisdom. That a, a, a man or woman uh, who is wise understands, they're not squandering their days, they understand that every day is a gift. And so we need to understand that time is precious and this work is important. It's very important. And so do not fall in the category of, oh, well, if only I did this work earlier. You know, I, I think about this in my own life, I you know, we're all going to stand before God one day and give an account. And I, have, I really don't think that the Lord will say, well done with the time that I've given you. You have avoided every potential awkward situation or inconvenient conversation and have managed to not get my message out at all. I don't think that's what he would say. And it's no surprise that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 two, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And I believe it was J.C. Ryle who said, in one sense, today is God's day and tomorrow is the devil's day. Do not put off to tomorrow what you can do today. And so time is extremely valuable to be about this work. The second reason is don't miss the joy. There is so much joy to be had in this work, and in seeing a sinner come to repentance and come to Christ is an amazing joy. It's the greatest joy. It is the greatest possible thing that any human being can ever receive, and we have the potential to witness it and the ability to participate in it, which means that Every time we plant the seed of the gospel, we are contributing to the greatest work that only God can do, and that is bringing a sinner to himself, regenerating a sinner, having him be born again. In Luke 15, um, tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus, and the Pharisees didn't like that. Literally, the text says they, were, they grumbled about it. It said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Like, I, don't, I don't like that. And Jesus looks at them and he gives them three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, and prodigal son. Essentially to say, like, we ought to be rejoicing whenever a sinner repents. And he says something in the parable of the lost sheep that is so powerful and mind-blowing. So he talks about how the man leaves the 99 and receives the one. He finds the one, he brings him back, gets his family and his friends, and they rejoice and they're really excited. And in verse 7... He says, just so, this is Jesus speaking, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There will be more joy in all of heaven. Myriads and myriads of angels, all of heaven will, will be rejoicing. There's more joy in heaven over one soul That comes to Christ. And so if you want to know what makes all of heaven rejoice and full of joy, it's the lost being found. And there's so much joy to be had in this work. Don't miss it. The third reason is because it's God's mission. Meaning the Great Commission, the spreading of the gospel to the ends of the earth, the saving of God's elect, will be accomplished through Christians who engage in this work. The means are human beings who are willing to do the work. God will get from point A to point B through his church doing this work. And it has to get done, and it will get done because he said so. I mean, if you think about just Cornerstone Community Church, right? Somewhere down in history, way down, it, the church is here because someone was willing to do the work, You've heard the gospel and were saved because someone was willing to do the work. And so, this is God's mission. It is His strategy in accomplishing the Great Commission. And that is why we must be about this work. And in the next slide, in, uh, in closing, uh, in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 36, um, Jesus was in the towns, or He's going through the cities, and he was proclaiming the gospel and teaching and healing the sick. And um, he says in th- verse 35, I'm sorry, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This work starts with our hearts for the lost and to see them as they really are, which is harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Get this. Really, really, really get this. Because if we don't get this, then we won't do the work. Or we won't do it right. You see, Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion. And the compassion here, he he didn't look at them and go, oh, well, that's... What a bummer. No, it was a deep, heartbreaking compassion. The word means, he felt it in his inner being. It was a deep and strong compassion. You know, I've gone to Ocean City, New Jersey, every year for, um, for a long time. I don't remember the first time I went. It was a while ago, and we would pretty much go every year. And uh, every time I go, I have to catch myself because you see, when we go to the boardwalk, we'll go to the boardwalk, we'll get ice cream, we'll sit on one of the benches, and we'll watch the crowds go by. And um, it's, I find it so easy for myself to be looking at the crowds and just being like, wow, what a zoo, right? Look at these, like this is just a map. Everyone's just crazy, right? And I have to pray for a broken heart and to see them as they really are, to see them as Jesus sees them, which is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So pray for a broken heart over the lost that will move you to do the work of an evangelist. Jesus then turned to his disciples and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. Pray for an opportunity and be willing and you will be amazed with the doors that the Lord will open because the harvest is full. We don't live in a world where you go, man, I don't know if there's much out there. I don't know if there's much work to be done. The harvest is full. You will be shocked with how receptive most people will be to talk about the gospel and are yearning to know the truth. Mark Dever, he's a pastor down in DC and he's written a bunch of books. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, He. Here's a quote from him. He says, I think many times we don't evangelize because we undertake everything in our own power. We attempt to leave God out of it. We forget that it is his will and pleasure for his gospel to be known. He wants sinners saved. Simply put, we don't pray for opportunities to share the gospel. So how surprised should we be when they don't come? If you're not evangelizing because you think you lack opportunities, pray and be amazed as God answers your prayers. And so let's be about this work. Let's be laborers in the harvest. Let's do the work of an evangelist. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now I pray that you would help us in this work, God, that you would break our hearts and that we would look at the crowds and we would see them as you see them. God, help us now that we would be about this work and in your name, amen.
1: Thanks again, Justin. It reminds me to think about who was my evangelist. Somebody evangelized me. Somebody evangelized you. And we need to be about that work. Well, good morning. It's time in our service that we uh, enjoy going to the table of the Lord. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to join us at the table. You can find elements in the back. Uh, today for our meditation, I want us to consider a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's found in John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said... I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus uses the metaphor of bread to indicate to us that he is essential, he is vital, he is crucial to our being. And he's not talking just about the physical realm, but he's talking about the spiritual realm. We need him for everything. He is our bread. Do we need him to do the work of an evangelist? Yeah, we do. We need him every single day, every single moment of the day. Jesus also here is claiming to be God. He is Yahweh. It's The same term that was used when God revealed himself to Moses. Yahweh, the self-sufficient one. So we must go to the self-sufficient one to be sufficient as children of God. And we need to remember that as we come to the table of communion. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Again, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took bread, and when he had given thanks...